caterpillar eyebrows, heavy bronzer. Oh yeah. Heavy burlap sacks spray painted gold. Oh yeah. And them sexy ass 90s porn star goatees. Oh yeah. It's time for grown men geeking out on Klingons. I've had I've had two big bomber beers tonight, so I, I should. Oh have. man! So you you're all loaded up like one of the Klingons in this episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be core in our group of Klingons. You, you are totally you're totally the one that's drunk <laughs> yeah. in, his, uh, in his cell. Core, yes. yes. All right. Are we ready, Koloff? Am I the Koloff in this? <laughs> no one. Who? No, no, no. You're no one wants to be Koloff. You're both kings. <laughs> can... No one wants to be Koloff. All right. Okay, I'm gonna. I think I talk since I talk about twenty percent of the time. That would be me. I'm <laughs> You're not even. You're already. We're gonna sex in the city. This in the episode. <laughs> I, I, I would have to say that I'm probably go off. But I'm looking. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition podcast, where we talk about the greatest TV show in. The history of the Klingon Empire. Yeah. It's the greatest uh, show with Klingons ever. Yes, the best Klingon show there is. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, with me always is James Nolan. Hello, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. And I'm Wade Bowen. And yes, tonight we're talking all about Klingons. Is that right? Yes. We're talking a lot about Klingons and a lot about Terry Farrell. Oh, are we? Yes. Tonight's episode is Blood Oath. It is episode 19 of season two. Originally aired on March 27th, 1994. The IMDb description is pretty short, and here it is. Three legendary Klingons come to DS9 to see if Jadzia Dax will participate in a Blood Oath they made with Jadzia's previous host, Kurzon. But before we kind of unpack all that happens in this episode, and it is an epic episode, mm-hmm. we probably want to start and unpacking the nuts and bolts of Klingon lore throughout all 50 years of Star Trek. <laughs> yes. This is a, it's a small order. Tonight on a special episode of yeah. The Rules of Acquisition. Just some grass, a few uppers, and a little nose candy. Nose candy? Cocaine. Yeah, I feel like this is like the first episode where we actually need to sort of establish larger Star Trek canon and mythos. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, outside of the pilot, which, you know, had Picard. the inter, you know, Picard's Enterprise on it. Other than that, you know, I feel like this is the first one that deals with, you know, you have to go back to the original series to deal with this. stuff. Yes. It- right. Yeah. We're getting into the weeds. We like to talk about the show as, you know, just in the story entirely, <laughs> but even talk about that. I feel like we need to, to go back about 30 years to talk about the original series. I guess. Yeah. Because three of the Klingons in this are previous existing characters. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that is, that's true. Kor, Kang, and Koloth all were in the original series uh, in their own episodes. Kor was in uh, Errand of Mercy, I believe, or was it Day of the Dove? I get to- Kor was in Kor's in Errand of Mercy. Errand of Mercy, yeah. And he's the first Klingon that we ever see in all of Star Trek. Errand of Mercy, Kang was Day of the Dove, <laughs> and then it Koloth in the Trouble of Tribbles, and then finally Kang is in the last one, right? Uh-huh. And his yeah. wife, Mira, is his wife's name? Mira, yeah. Yes. I mean, I almost want to say that Kang, much like in this episode, Kang is a character in Day of the Dove. Mm-hmm. 
is a much more pivotal character to that episode than the other two were to their episodes, especially Koloff. <laughs> so. I'd agree, yeah. I went back and watched all of these yeah. in preparation as well. James did a little bit more prep than I did. I watched, but yeah, <laughs> King, is, King is a more fully realized character. He's got a wife. Yeah. His kid his kid is, is a plot point, apparently. That's true. And Kor is actually a character in the animated show, and I watched that episode, and it was awful. Oh, <laughs> and gave me no more insight into Core's character. <laughs> oh, the Enterprise gets stuck in a pocket universe that they have to work hard to get out of. Okay. <laughs> That's about it. And it's I, I do know I think that the voice of the in the animated show was Doohan anyway. Yeah, that's James Doohan. Yeah, James Doohan. James Doohan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A fellow James. I th- it looked like he just voiced any Klingons in the animated shows. It's like, just give it to Scotty. I think Scotty did every... It was like, if it wasn't an original cast member, give it to Scotty. And he did like all of them. James Doohan yeah. probably made more money off the animated series than he ever did <laughs> right. playing Scotty. The original series, we should talk about the makeup situation. It was the 1960s there was a little bit of uh racist overtones in how they put everybody in shoe polish and made make them look vaguely uh asian yeah or southeast asian yeah they put them in the shoe po- i was thinking they're like in turkish blackface is what i thought of it as yeah except for koloth he's just a white guy which is almost worse it's like as far as like showing them as an alien you could say with core the first season they went <laughs> kind of far yeah, and then when it came time to do it again in the Trouble with Tribbles, they like laid off it completely to where Koloff looks a little weird, but his his second in command in the episode, yeah. who gets way more screen time, is way more memorable in the course of the episode. Just looks like a hippie. He looks like they've got he's got a goatee, and he doesn't have the full Fu, Fu Manchu that Koloth has. Yeah, I mean that Core has. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then when they went back in the third season when Kang is introduced, where he's in like. Re- Ridiculous shoe polish black. Yeah. Right. And so by the time that we've got them in DS9, they're <laughs> back in the full ridges. The full ridges. And, which I assume yeah, that right. they establish. It seems like there's some sort of disconnect. Okay. So let's like. Uh, okay. Well, I got a little thing that I wouldn't read about the canical ex- explanation for the change. If we got, you guys got a second for this? No, yeah, go ahead and read. We're going forward to Enterprise. Is that what we're doing? Well, this is what I've got. Yeah. They explain. The difference between the Klingons' appearances in the original series and their eventual, like, why they are back to normal and, and what happened there. Uh, from the Wikipedia, a canical explanation for the change was given in a two-part storyline uh, on Star Trek Enterprise in episodes Affliction and Divergence that aired in February 2005. Attempting to replicate experiments by humans to create augmented soldiers, Klingon scientists used genetic material from human test subjects on their own people, which resulted in a viral pandemic which caused Klingons to develop human-like physical characteristics. Dr. Fox of Enterprise formulated a cure for the virus, but the physical alterations remained in the populace and were inherited by offspring. Mm -hmm. Dr. Fox indicated that someday the physical altercations could be reversed. Through, like, plastic surgery. In the episode, because I went back and rewatched it like you did. He's okay. He's saying I don't know anything about Enterprise. I just knew that they they tried to explain the Klingon head ridges disappearing, and I remember thinking that's the dumbest shit ever. That's why I hate (laughs) Enterprise. It's stupid. Why can't they just accept that 
the 60s were a different time. They had cheap makeup. But then I go back and I rewatch these episodes. And then I learned that it was a thing where it was a short time span where they looked like humans. And you know what? At this point, I'm like, I'm almost ready to accept the retcon that they yeah. did. I almost think that, Friday. yeah, the problem is, is that this episode created the problem mm-hmm. because you could have just went along. I mean, because, okay, so in the original series back in the 60s, everybody looked like they just had funny eyebrows and shoe black sort of darkened skin tones. And they had like sort of weird, almost like Genghis Khan kind of outfits. Right. Yeah. Okay. Totally. And so then you have the first movie. Well, they each had the sash that Worf has in no, TNG. Honestly. Actually, only one of them wore the sash, and that was the same oh. ca- a core. Or the sash in the first episode. It's the exact same sash, physically, the same sash oh, really? that Worf wore in the first season of Star Trek. It's just a <laughs> gold spray painted burlap sack. It's the same one. <laughs> Uh, he wore it in the first, all of the first season, and then later on they changed it to that weird sort of chain link sash that he wore the rest of the time. Which is always kind of strange because he's the only one that ever wears a sash, by the way, other than Cole. Well, because he's he's the only Klingon. It's like, no, but it's like I'm saying, it. when you meet Gowron or oh, right, Martok yeah. and all of them, never never wear a sash. <laughs> Just core in the first show and warp. But the problem is, is that you introduce the exact same characters into this episode of Blood Oath. And they all have the forehead ridges and they basically look like Klingons as been established in the next generation and in the movies. And so I I almost want to say that Christopher Lloyd is the first Klingon in that capacity. Christopher Lloyd in the third movie, because the first movie deals with they look weirder. That's the first time that you see Klingons that look different, but they look weird, like even weirder still. You see them for like a like like a minute, maybe. I'll take over a little bit with the Star Trek: The Motion Picture because I just I rewatched it this last week. The Klingons in that were deliberately uh, they have more they have the ridges, they have similar costumes, but they're all they're not yet like as well defined as they are in Star Trek Three. You're right in Star Trek Three. That's when they really take a lot of care into the individual design of individual Klingons ridges. Yeah. But before that, it was kind of like all uniformed for the just a few, few scenes in uh, Star Trek. It was just like one ridge up their forehead, basically, right? Right. Right, that's right. There's and then they and instead of Klingon, they spoke Klingonese still, or was that from the original series? And then also, it sounded went well. All I have to go from is I recently watched a McDonald's commercial from the motion picture, <laughs> right? Where they speak like in Star Trek gobbly, I mean Star Wars gobbly gook, where they're just oh, blah blah. It sounds like they're speaking Hutties. Jabba yeah. or something. For you parents who don't speak Klingonese, he's saying people of Earth unite and bring your kids to McDonald's for a Star Trek meal. (laughs) That's a great piece of, like, cultural archaeology there. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's an artifact. Yeah, yeah, so, like, you have... So you have the Klingons there. Klingon, uh, like, obviously the third movie deals uh, heavily with the Klingons. And that's the first time that it seems like you're dealing with, like, what I'm going to call wharf Klingons. And, and, but the problem that I've noticed when watching all of these sort of episodes, and one of the things that I've, that I, I great, I gained a greater appreciation for is, yeah, their foreheads are different, but Klingons are noticeably, their culture and as a people, they're noticeably evolved over the course of the show. And that's probably something that I appreciate as the, 
you know, we're talking about expanding the original Roddenberry mythos right. from a from a Desilu TV show in the 60s to this full-form sort of thing where a lot of talented writers are working on it. Klingons are sort of a case study of how that exploded into something more interesting. In the first episode, Aaron and Mercy, it seems to me that they're just Soviet stand-ins in a, in a very basic way. Yeah, the whole point is they're... Kirk is like, we're a democracy. They're a autocracy, military dictatorship. Mm -hmm. We're better than they are. But they're basically, if we were a military dictatorship, if we were the Soviet Union, they'd be the Klingons. Yeah. And so they're dealt with in pretty, pretty basic lights. In Trouble with Tribbles, they're shown as just an antagonist. The enemy. Yeah. It's just a basic enemy bad guy. They're almost shown as like a biker gang. Yeah. Right. In that episode where they kind of look like, they kind of strike me like whoever, like in the Rebel. <laughs> just because Koloff's second in command was just like a hippie with a goatee. With a goatee. Like, they, look, they look like a biker gang to you. Who starts a bar fight for no reason. Yeah. It strikes me as very much like the, what's the first Marlon Brando movie where he plays the guy on the bike? The Wild One. The Wild One. It sounds like a scene from The Wild Ones where they sort of goad Scotty into starting a bar fight. And it seems like that that was a tone that they were going for in that episode. In the third episode, the Day of the Dove, which I like, which introduces Kang, who's a pivotal character, mm-hmm. sort of the main character of, of Blood Oath, they're dealt with as a little bit more of like a rigid society with a code. Right. To balance that against Kirk's code. Right. Which is interesting, which yeah. is closer to where we get with Klingons later on. Exactly. And in the movies and stuff, they're dealt with as just sort of villains. And then you have the character Worf, who's introduced as a very serious and stoic character. And that's mm-hmm. that ultimately, like, Worf may be my favorite character in all of Star Trek. So it's not like what I'm about to say is not a slide on this, but that that's kind of a dead end for our culture. And I think that Ronald D. Moore noticed that that, that is a dead end, that that's not. That might be Worf, but that's not Klingons. And so he introduces this greater world in the TNG where the Klingons are much more interesting with a joie de vivre and a code. And they're all of a sudden they become really interesting because they're right. I'm actually oh, sorry. Well, no, just that they have they have a different it's a place where you introduce it's kind of like and I hate to give the guy compliments, but it's kind of like what I receive Bear is slowly trying to do with the Ferengi. Yeah. Where you take strip give these these alien culture negative elements with the Klingons, it's it's violence and anger and, a, and you know just sort of a tilt towards violence. With the Ferengis, it's a tilt towards like avarice and and greed. Right. But well, I'm curious because this is a whole other thing in the comic books. Mm. Well, there's a whole other continuity in the comic books, and at one point after the motion picture started, but before maybe the next generation. They introduced a Klingon into the ship, that, or maybe he was a half Klingon, but it was a whole character that the Hedridges weren't as regimented as we got with Worf even. Mm-hmm. But there was a, in the comic books, that had their own continuity. They had their totally separate continuity when there was an Italian comic books in the 60s, the key comics, which is a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. That they those were just gibberish because they were written by Italian people that had never seen the show, <laughs> and so it didn't make any sense. And then DC, I think, took over after the motion picture, and after the motion picture, they introduced a Klingon that was a maybe a half Klingon. I can't. I'm not sure exactly. Somebody else can correct us. I'm sure who was a crewman on the Enterprise. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Is this all established canon? Well, it's comic book canon. 
which is its own different canon. When okay. Key Comics had its own gibberish canon, then DC took over, got the rights to it, and started doing their own stuff, I think, after the motion picture. So it was still kind of based on the movies. And then there was a Klingon character that ended up marrying a woman or something and maybe had kids. But it was still like the Klingon, the design was based off the motion picture where they had only had the mainly the one ridge in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I forget to get the guy's name. And so I wonder... I'm the sure. actor who played him in the first movie is the same actor who played Sarek in the first, the Romulan in, shit, the really great Romulan episode of the original series. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't remember him, but like that, um, what the name of yeah. the episode's called. But it's the same actor who played Sarek, basically. Oh, uh, yeah. So. But yeah, and whatever happened, I'm curious now, because some nerds know exactly if Ronald D. Moore took any of that. Oh, uh, okay. I think it was, it still wasn't canon. And then later they righted the comic book canon with the movie canon later on. With like the Boom Studio. And they totally retconned that that, that Klingon character never existed. But he had a full kind of uh, okay. life in the comics. And they set up, they, it was like they were setting up another dichotomy of Klingons, maybe. So it's kind of like setting up this, that, that, that worldview that the Klingons were set up with in TNG. Uh, that eventually got sort of fleshed out was originally fleshed out in the comics. No, I think it got retconned out again. The comics got retconned again, oh, but okay. I, it felt like maybe they could have had some influence on what happened in TNG. Okay, I'm not sure because okay. I don't know if know enough about it. I just know that there was a major character in the comic line that was a Klingon that got retconned later because DC comic line ran for a while and the canon got diverged enough where they retconned it and just kick back to the movies again all right and maybe the tv and the tv show so interesting i don't know that's all that's something for fans or <laughs> anybody that wants to comment or anything tell us all about that but as far as we know ronald d moore invented it whole shrift almost okay yeah well i think we should also mention real quick my least favorite klingon christopher Plummer, <laughs> who decided decided your least favorite wait, wait, hold on hold on hold on just uh, audience members hugh hates Star Trek. No, 6. no, 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 no. <laughs> I will tell you how I feel. Okay. About it. I am fine with Undiscovered Country. It's fine. It's great. It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> I think it's fine. We've well, been toying with doing a whole podcast on Hughes qualms with star trek six all right we, we, we may do that later but no go into it now as it's pertinent well us all yeah. christopher Plummer didn't want to wear all that klingon shit that's true so he's got yeah. the least uh affected i guess head ridges and makeup mm-hmm. like i think that christopher Plummer could probably be in and out of his klingon makeup in 20 <laughs> yeah it really and was. Think, he's like, fuck this. And we'll, yes. we'll give you an eye patch or something with a little bolt on it. Yeah, he's essentially bald, which no other Klingons are bald. He has very muted ridges, right? Yeah. If yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, he looks gave, he looks they, especially they like a, Christopher Plummer. Yeah, they gave <laughs> him a Klingon shower cap is what they did. <laughs> totally, yeah. And that's what he... That, so okay, so that's the that's sort of what we're dealing with uh, on the Klingon scale from being like almost human uh-huh. in the '60s to being barely uh, Klingon to Christopher Plummer. We've got these guys in Blood Oath that are just like full bore, long hair, mm-hmm. ridges, like the full. They're like full bore Klingons. All okay, so and I think this is a point where I'd say that the Enterprise explanation that aired in 2005 was not anywhere on the docket of the staff writers of DS9 in 1993 when they set up this episode. 
No. So what they told the act, the actors assumed that they would come in. They were aware that Michael Dorn wore the full turtle shell, and they were they were expected to come in and just have silly eyebrows like they did in the original series. And they they were told that they had to get into the full turtle shell, and they were like, "Well, we didn't have turtle shells." These actors that uh, the same actors from the original series, and they were like, "Yeah, but we the ridges come as the characters aged." Oh, that's what they were oh, told. Yeah. That's what these actors were told. Which clearly, Michael Dorn is as Worf is shown as a Klingon in his 20s. Right. And have we had, have we had Worf's son yet? And Alexander, yeah. who's, yeah, we've already seen Alexander, and Alexander's born with head ridges, as, as his mom was a half Klingon who had head ridges. So They just had to convince these old guys to put on the makeup. I think that this like, was, no, seriously. yeah, I think you have, when you have to get three old guys to wake up at four in the morning, this is what you tell them. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't watch Next Generation. They didn't know that shit. There's like, mm-hmm. okay, okay, Grandpa, let me tell you what, why. Sure, that it's an age thing. Yeah, and, and, and I know that apparently Kang and Koloff signed on immediately, but Kor, who had successfully turned being Kor in an episode and a cartoon for Star Trek into a lucrative career on the convention circuit, this is back when that you could have done that in 1993, he was actually the last to sign on and was the most sort of bitchy about it. Right. Uh, yeah. It, was he the one that took the longest to find? Because the rest of them were still working. There was. He was the one on the cruise that no one on the writer's staff yeah. could find him because he was on a Star Trek convention cruise. I think mm-hmm. this was in full Trek. This was in like peak Trek. Right. Like Trekky, Trekky lifestyle Trek. And so I think he literally made a career off of just being core from the from original series, like 1966. Yeah. Wow. And so he was the most sort of caretaker-ish of his character. And if you watch them, as we all have, that his character is the most different. Mm. His character is clearly written as like a Falstaffian kind of character in this episode. And that is not the way he is portrayed at all in Aaron of Mercy. I think it's, I think there's like, let's get into this real quick. Uh-huh. How long do the Klingons live? Right. Uh, apparently like 200 years. Right. Because I mean. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they say one of them is at least 150 years old and then at least 100 years old, and this other one's 150 or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then just doing the math, it has to be around 200. Yeah, I mean, you think about like, okay, let's look at it. In the original series, which aired in 1987, DeForest Kelly is in that episode as Bones. Bones is 100 and what, like 20? Modern medicine has kept him alive that long? Something like but that. But the yeah. rest of the cast is clearly dead in the first episode of TNG, right? The counter at far point. Yeah, I think they're understood to be. Well, Spock, maybe not. Spock is not dead. Spock is not dead. You're right. Spock is alive. He's definitely not, and I don't think it... But let's say human characters. Let's say human characters. Scotty is presumed to be dead, but... But he's not, but that was by fluke of technology. Right, right. But Sulu's dead. Uhura's dead. Kirk is dead, but that's through non-natural causes. So humans live about 120 years. And Klingons, you have to say, have to live to be 200 or so. Yeah, that makes sense. Why not? I mean, if, if Kor is the same age as Kirk, and they're old, but they're mm-hmm. not, like, they're not at Boca. Yeah. I mean, like, Right. They're aliens. They can live longer. That's not a big stretch. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a big stretch. But I think that that was, and they were, and that's what they told the actors, is like, your character's 200 years old. They developed the head ridges then. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess they bought that. Yeah, 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 sure. But it doesn't stand up to, to the logic now. Yeah, well. But, yeah, so I guess that they're 200. They can live, let's say Klingons live to be 200. 220, 30 years old, right? Yeah. That settles well with me. Does that settle well with you, Hugh? I think that we could, if we knew the star dates, we could actually 
like I think we could figure it out, but it's like we don't need to do that. Yeah. If anybody wants to be our go-to person for that shit, we would love you. <laughs> Private message us on Twitter. I'm sure somebody has designated just exactly how long yes. Koloth, Core, and King exactly. w- were alive. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I'm sure somebody's screaming <laughs> at their phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm almost positive that's happening somewhere in the world. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, you're right. So, okay. So, but I, you know, like we've now at this point of this episode, and we're only going over all of this because the Klingons are a big point of view for the show, for Deep Space Nine, basically from this point on, specifically in the fourth season when you're introduced to sort of Klingon characters that are established mainstay characters. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you deal with a lot of, you got Martok, you got, you know, Gowron, you got all kinds of stuff with the Dominion stuff coming on. We have a lot of Klingons to unpack. Oh yeah. So I just wanted to sort Mm -hmm. of get this out of the way in dealing with this episode. Yeah. And it makes sense because Klingons were such a big favorite from next generation Mm -hmm. that they're like, wait a minute, we need to, you know, the first season of DS nine, they had so much remember this from next generation (laughs) that it was almost bothersome because it was like these characters, Mm -hmm. but it makes sense. And then they, they have a few, they have the, the sisters, the Dura sisters, like the Dura sisters show up in the first episode or something. Yeah. But they don't really key in to like... Yeah, with no establishment to what the Dura sisters mean to, to war from the greater Klingon world. Yeah, they just show up because like, hey, remember these guys from mm-hmm. uh, the other one? Whereas the whole... The Klingons are still like a fan favorite of the whole cosmology at this point. Yeah, yeah. Klingons are the... I'm, I think I'm going to say Klingons are the greatest thing about Star Trek. I think so. Yeah, yeah. They've got their own language, everything. Like, they'd be stupid not to integrate Klingons. <laughs> and also, they're just... They're such a formidable power in the galaxy that you can't mm-hmm. not talk about Star Trek with mm-hmm. not talking about Klingons and at least their effects on the politics. Yeah. The Cardassians are such a big thing that... If the Cardassians are that big, then you at least, at some point, you have to get to what the Klingon presence might be. A counterbalance yeah. to the Cardassians. Yeah, because yeah. there's, there's like three big players in the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. There's the Federation, the Cardassians, I guess, and the Klingons are a big, yeah. you know, you can't not talk. And then you have the Beta Quadrant wildcard of the Romulans. So, I mean, right, right. yeah, yeah. So this is like, but yeah, the Klingons are always the sort of the key to the introduction to the rest of the sort of greater world. Right. So I. I li- and it's the first, yeah, yeah. It's where Deep Space Nine establishes what it's been doing with Bajor and Cardassians and sets it into the, a bigger world of the Avra Quadrant. Right. And I think we're getting on the verge now where TNG is about to exit the stage as a as sort of a oh, right. weekly television show. And I think that, you know, it's easy to downplay the effect that that had on the writers, just from materially, from the writers coming over, from Ronald D. Moore and Robert, uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf coming over to start writing for Deep Space Nine. But also those writers get to kind of take over the driver's seat of the universe. Right, right. And also if Ronald D. Moore is a Klingon yes. guy, he might be possessive of it while he was still over at TV. And maybe a specific character that he when he moves over maybe a specific character moves over with him maybe so or other characters that he's also worked with so ds9 is thinking okay we got to have klingons Mm -hmm. we're who are what characters are we going to work with that they're not using over in tng we use the dura sisters this time but now what else do we have they may maybe this is just all speculation on my part maybe they've got their own characters that they work with that they're a little protective of that they won't let us have just yet (laughs) what are we going to do yeah well, we can go back to the original series. Mm-hmm. And sort of jump over them, yeah. yeah. I know the original episode, the story of this episode is this is a... 
this is a Peter Allen Fields episode, which we've talked. At le- we love we, Peter. Allen. We love Peter Allen Fields. He is the best Deep Space Nine writer. Period. Maybe not all around, but he definitely wrote the best. Let's put it this way: he wrote the best Deep Space Nine episodes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even if, especially up to this point that we're in right now. There's nobody that can yeah. touch anything he's done. Yeah. It, especially the, in the season two, everybody else is shit <laughs> compared to Peter yeah. Allen Fields. Yeah, I mean, the, a list of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine are the list of Peter Allen Fields episodes. Um, he wrote it originally as a sort of homage to the Three Musketeers. Okay. Which is pretty easy to see. Yeah. But he wrote it with three aged Klingons that were not Kor, Koloth, and Kane. That was Robert Hewitt. Wolf's idea. Good idea. Yeah, it was a good writer's room idea. And I think it's one of those things that just kind of took off. Like, yeah, yeah. Can we can we get these actors? Because it's a great sort of synergy. I'm sure it probably increased the ratings. It was a smart idea all around. But on the page, if you go back and watch these three episodes of the original series, there's not a lot of relevance no. to the characterizations from the original series to the characterizations in this episode. So yeah, they're not. They, I will I will say that I do think there's a little bit of a good continuity that you could see that these guys in the original series were like sort of like career officers. Yeah. So you did get the sense that they had a place within the Empire. They were just to, there to serve the ends. They were there to serve the Empire. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I felt like these guys were like career guys. And now... Their careers are over. They're they've lived their life. They're at the end mm-hmm. of their journey. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much talk about. I mean, in the original series, they're all basically captains. They're all Kirk's equal. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And in this one, there's all this talk about them being Dahar masters, which I don't know what that means because that's clearly not in the original series. Yeah, I got still... I got to tell you, I didn't see I didn't see a lot of references to that outside of this episode. Yeah. It's clearly a title or a position of honor, and because they're old guys, but it's also supposed to be Dahar Masters. Like, oh my God, they're Dahar Masters. Like, they can kick my ass. I think is the implication. <laughs> like that. Yeah, they've reached Masters of Dahar. Well, to or give, whatever that means. To give it a show context, in an interaction, Odo is very flippant with dealing with Koloff. Before he finds out he's a Dahar master. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, oh, shit. Then Koloth says, he's, I'm a Dahar master. I'm Koloth the Dahar master. And then Odo, who we've known as a very stern man who's not eager to show deference to someone, immediately shows deference to the Dahar master. Right. I mean, and so that that is a contextual way of showing the weight of being a Dahar master. Right. Yeah. It, to me, and, and this is, it felt like something between a rank and an honorific because mm-hmm. they are also high ranking officers, but also. It felt like an honorific, like, he's earned this title by killing a bunch of motherfuckers. <laughs> like, yes. you know, it's like a Kung, it's a, they're masters of Kung Fu, basically, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that um, you do have, the, I think that the biggest stretch of, of characterization is the character of Core. Core, who's dealt amazingly <laughs> in this episode. Oh, yeah. It's this great Falstaffian character. He's... Uh, he carries a lot of the show on his back. He's really fun. He's a drunk. He's an alcoholic. He's sort of a, a wastrel and dealt with very well, especially in sort of the final battle sequence at the end of the episode. Yeah. And that is nothing like Kor from... No. I mean, like, if you want to say that Koloth is an officious sort of middle management guy that, that is shown in The Trouble with Tribbles, it is shown in this episode, and Kang is this severe, intense man that is shown in both the original series right. and this episode. But Kor is 
totally different, where Core is shown as this sort of almost Himmler kind of character. I hate to say right. it, but it but it's, it's, it, it, it works with the previous characterization. If you just buy that, he let himself go in his old age. Yeah, yeah, like he, oh, yeah. he quit his totally. job. He's like he's on the Klingon equivalent of of the eighteen lengths. Right. This like, is what, it yeah. Makes, yeah. <laughs> It makes sense. Is this being a Three Musketeers parrot thing? It makes total sense. Uh-huh. But at the same time, because this is Star Trek is a Western, uh-huh. and it felt like I was, and the character of Kor especially, I was trying to figure out if this was based on like some Kurosawa thing. Seven Samurai. Like yes, exactly. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he felt like almost like uh, Toshiro Mifune drunk guy from seven samurai yeah it's more it's more that they're based on the seven samurai ripoff magnificent seven right with uh yeah, that's what i was saying it's a western because it would be based off of the western ripoff of yeah Kurosawa. yeah kang is yul brenner james colburn is wait well, i'm sorry koloth is james coburn's character and core is the it's based on falstaff but yeah tashara mifune i don't know who played him in magnificent seven yeah i'm that kind of asshole who's seen seven samurai like 10 times but i've never seen magnificent seven right. <laughs> i've seen it but i've seen seven samurai a lot more yeah, yeah. i've seen i've seen magnificent seven like once yeah i've seen it a a few times but not like yeah yeah i mean you know we we watch a lot of kurosawa yeah we sure did yeah we watch a lot of kurosawa um so i know that uh the only other thing that that core had core was bitchy about signing on to this episode his the actor's name is john kalikios yeah he he his biggest problem is he wanted to live at the end so that was forced onto the script outside of uh peter allen field's original script so, cool. so yeah, so he had to rewrite it to incorporate these demands by John Kalikios. Yeah, so I guess we do we want to I mean, it, it, I mean, outside of all of the Klingon shit, this is a this is the Dax episode, man. Yeah. Yeah, we're re- are we ready to move into Blood Oath? Blood Oath proper? Here? Yeah, I think I think we are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, there'll be a new episode for that. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod. And on Tumblr at the rules of AcquisitionPodcast.tumblr.com. Guys, How does an artificially intelligent operating interface know if his NASA built off-planet gathering robot girlfriend is cheating on him? Not for me, absolutely not for me. My bitch is locked down tight. I'm totally asking for a friend. He, yeah one of my buddy robots is all sad. Wants to know if I should talk to her? What? What did I say? I meant him him, if he should talk to his girl. Totally not mine.